Welcome into the Chicago College Tailgate Offseason Preview Podcast. Tyler Rocky along with Shane Norling. We're going to be breaking everything down with you. We've got six oh, yeah. weeks to go until we hit week six zero. Friday. So you know what we're getting into, Shane. We've got five of the Power Five conferences that we're going to preview. And then on top of that, we're also going to get just a, a comprehensive preview, kind of like the circle of college yeah. football playoff teams. So looking forward to doing all this. So let's start today with the epicenter of the college football universe, and that is the Big Ten right now with everything going on at Northwestern, some high hopes out in Ann Arbor. But let's start with the Northwestern Wildcats, who right now are going to be operating with David Braun as the interim head coach after the dismissal of Pat Fitzgerald amid the allegations of hazing within the football program out at Northwestern. Just let's start with some of our initial thoughts of what we saw come of everything that went down out in Evanston. Obviously, a very serious situation. Um, Pat Fitzgerald, he had been there a long time, and you look at what he had done for the program, kind of, I don't want to say put it back on the map because, A, I don't think it was ever there. 14 and 31 the last four years can't be on the map. Yeah, B, I don't think they're technically on the map. But he at least made them a relevant team within Big Ten circles. At right? times. Like brought them to uh, the Big Ten championship game. When you do that over the tenure that you have and you're an alum of the program, he at least had some notoriety within the league. And I think one of the big things with Pat was that he had the pulse of the region, had the pulse of Illinois high school football, yeah. and was able to get recruits that Good way. relationships. Great relationships within the, the entire confines. But – when you saw this go down, it, it was honestly a shock based on everything that we knew about Pat, Pat, uh, about Pat Fitzgerald at the time. Real shock to see everything go down in Evanston. I mean, it was surprising when it all comes out, though, like almost immediately. Mm-hmm. I think I texted you, and I'm like, he's done. He's They're done. not yeah. going to have a coach. Like the instant the news dropped. So then you have this team that was kind of hopeful, did some work this offseason to get a little better from where they were a year ago at 1-11, and, and suddenly – they are rudderless. And instead of conversations about what does this football team look like going into 2023, we got to have conversations about whether or not this is a destination job. What mm-hmm. caliber of coach are they going to get next? I've heard bandied about like Dave Clawson on a wake. Yeah. What, what level is this job actually at? It's the worst job in the Big Ten. And I think you could make an argument. It might be the most difficult Power 5 job that there is. I, w- I was going to say, I don't think it's a bottom five power job, but I think in terms of difficulty, it is one of the five hardest jobs. And it's Northwestern, Colorado, at that level of program where you just, it is a monumental uphill battle to get a program going at Northwestern. You're locked out of Wisconsin. You're locked out of Minnesota. You're not getting into Ohio. A lot of the southern part of the state. Iowa. Yeah, you mm-hmm. have a, you have trouble in your own state, the mm-hmm. southern part of it. Chicago's not a college football prospect hotbed. Mm-hmm. Nor think, is Indiana. Yeah, when you talk about the recruiting aspect, that's brutally difficult. The have, East Coast seems to have better luck in Michigan, too, yeah. than I think some of the Midwest schools do. And you have a hard time. You have a school that doesn't want to embrace NIL, despite mm-hmm. the fact there's mountains of money involved in this university. Well, but the thing about NIL at Northwestern, too, is You're the fact the seventh that, team in the city. Are you even that? Like, you look at what NIL is in the city. Like, you drive up and down the, the, the expressway here. You're not seeing a Northwestern billboard aside from Northwestern yeah. promoting their own. 
The other thing, too, with college football now, it's a transfer sport. Mm-hmm. Every I mean, a 1,000 kids hit the portal the day that it opened. Last season, every year, teams are rebuilding through the portal. You look at Miami, look at what Michigan's been able to do mm-hmm. a few seasons. The best teams, Michigan State even, the best teams have gone through the portal, hit it hard, and brought players in. The academic standards are too high at Northwestern. You yeah. can't get transfer kids. It's damn near impossible. Can't get transfer kids. How's Northwestern going to do? And look at it like Northwestern a couple of years ago, they bring in a five-star transfer quarterback from Clemson, Hunter Johnson. Yeah, and that didn't even work. Like he barely saw the field. I mean, he was a non-factor at Northwestern during his time there. All of so this, even when you do get breaks your way. They don't always pan out. That's all of this to say, like my point, you hear the name Dave Clawson and Wake Forest and how he's been able to build a legitimate program mm-hmm. in the ACC at a school where people would have said not possible. You know, private, high academic standards, yeah. small alumni base, small student population. He built a program. And I just think at this point, is Northwestern a better job than Wake? If you're Dave Clawson and Wake's like, we'll match whatever Northwestern gives you, I'm staying at the ACC, man. I yeah. feel like you've got the playoffs expanding. You have an automatic bid if you win your conference. It's going to be easier to win the ACC at Wake than to win the Big Ten at Northwestern. I look at it, too, as like, I mean, how important is the Big Ten in terms of making a, if you were a coach who had a couple of options, like Clawson could at some point, how important is the Big Ten? Because you look at the way that conference realignment is going, I mean, you could be looking at one day where we could be seeing two conferences yeah. that kind of rule the world. It would be the SEC and yeah, it would be Ten. the Big Ten. And who knows where a team like Wake Forest ends up in the shuffle of all things. Because obviously, if it is going to end up being a two-conference world that we live in, there's going to be bits and pieces that come from the ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, that come and join these mega conferences. But... How important is being in the Big Ten over the next five years? That's the interesting point because Wake Forest feels like a school. If they go 20-team leagues and it's the Big Ten and SEC mega conferences and they're the AFC and NFC of college football, Mm -hmm. Wake Forest feels like a school that gets left out. And Northwestern being in the Big Ten feels like a school that comes in. Who knows? With the way that this is going, it's all going to be about which schools offer the biggest profit margins. I don't know if Northwestern's a part of that group, but I can't imagine the university getting kicked out of the Big Ten. This all becomes so interesting. Is it 20-team conferences? Is it 24-team conferences? What does that ultimately look like? That's five years down the road, but it's a good point because maybe that does make Northwestern a better gig. Uh, optically than someplace like Wake. All right, now I want to kind of, I don't want to go after like candidates here for Northwestern because we're an off-season away from that really vamping up. Yeah, they're going to go with the interim deal. It's too late to hire a coach. Right, but like what caliber of coach are we looking at here for Northwestern heading into next season? Like, not not next, in 2024. What caliber of coach? Is it going to be established guy who's led a Power 5 program who views this as a level up? Is it going to be the up-and-coming hot name from the Group of Five trail, or is it just going to be some sort of retread? And then I think the bonus question that you have to ask is, is it going to be an alum of the program? Well, it feels like that's the way they want to do it, or at least a hometown guy. I, I don't know what level of candidate you get. Maybe you get a coordinator out of a Power Five job. I don't think anybody who has a Power Five gig and has done well enough Maybe you get somebody who failed someplace, but is that what you want if you're a Northwestern, or would you rather get 
somebody like the name escapes me, the guy coaching at Tulane who's made a program out of a school like or something. Like yeah. That. Where it would have been a harder gig. You've done it in a group of five. Somebody like that might be more interesting, but you're not going to get like maybe a coordinator, but even benefits. Like you think about a guy leaving Clemson to go get a head coaching gig, goes to Oklahoma. Those are the attractive gigs. If you're really that good of a coordinator, you're going someplace like that. Maryland, if Mike Loxley ever leaves and decides that was a stepping stone, the better coach is going to go to Maryland because that's yeah. a better job than mm-hmm. Northwestern. Like that, I don't know the tier of guy, but it, I think it's along the lines of a Dave Clawson. If you get somebody from a power five, somebody at a smaller school who might be willing to make the jump to the better conference, but I don't think it's because it's a better program. I guess I look at it too is the at, when you look at the two parties, the the hirer and the hiree, who's going to be taking the bigger risk? Is it going to be the coach or is it going to be the university? Probably the coach. You think so? Because I feel like that would mean it's a bigger name. Maybe, but I think the difficulty of the job makes it so unattractive for somebody who's really trying to build something. There are going to be other jobs available. There always are. Like, a job like Washington State, if that were to open up, mm-hmm. would that be more attractive than Northwestern? You're in the barren landscape yeah. that will be the leftovers of the Pac-12, but still, with that gig at Wazoo, the Palouse, is that more attractive? Is than- that even like a Power 5 job at that point? Yeah, the, like- there's so many questions that have to be answered as we go through the realignments, and you get Oklahoma and Texas go to the SEC, mm-hmm. leave the Big 12 a wasteland, USC, UCLA to the Big 10, leave the Pac-12 a wasteland. We'll see what happens. Getting into the weeds of who it's going to be, I don't think anybody knows yet. And the tier, I still think it's a middle-tier guy, maybe a hot name out of a group of five. That school seems so committed to people who are from Chicago or people who have a rooted interest in Northwestern. I don't know who that guy is. Well, here's the way I look at it, too, is that's the only guy that's getting any sort of leash, I feel like. You know what I mean? Like, well, Pat Fitzgerald was there for 17 years, and when you really go back and look, like seven of them were successful. Mm-hmm. There's the dream COVID season where, by hook or by crook, with a team that probably wouldn't have been there in any other year, you end up in a Big Ten title game, and you get mollywopped by Ohio State. Yep. But other than that, it's like a couple bowl wins. Who cares? And that was the 17-year forever guy. I don't think this has some massive expectation. A big-name coach, I would imagine, wants to go somewhere where he, he believes they can win. And I don't know if Northwestern is that spot. I don't when know you have to start with a blank slate in the region, the trying to recruit, and then it's, it's tough. So uh, it is one of, I think, the least desirable jobs in all of all of uh, uh, college football right now, and especially within the, the confines of the Power Five. So. Even if you're a, like a head coach that fails, wouldn't you rather go to the Nick Saban internship factory or like go be a coordinator at Clemson or do something? If say Venables fails in Oklahoma, he's not failing to go head coach at Northwestern. He's going to get picked up and be a defensive coordinator somewhere like, I don't know, Ohio State. It, it, that's how that would work. He's not going to end up going to be the head coach at Northwestern. And if you get that failed guy, I just think the logical step for those coaches is a coordinator gig somewhere at a respected university or the Nick Saban internship program. Yeah. All right, let's move on to one of the other local teams here, and that is Illinois. By the way, Northwestern, from what I've last seen, 
does not have a win total given all the uncertainty within the program. If you were to set one for the Wildcats this year, what? One and a half, two and a half. I don't like, even know what you do with it. I got to tell you, they were one of the unluckiest teams last year as far as turnovers. You'd figure that come back. Left side of their offensive line has NFL talent on it, which that's the pedigree at Northwestern. Yeah, if they do point. anything, the left side of the line typically are NFL level players. I thought that this team could have made a bowl, maybe win six games. They brought in a transfer quarterback. They did okay. And now I'm like, you're only returning 12 starters. We'll see who leaves after the fifth scandal. And what do you do? Like, could this be an 0 12 team at the Big Ten, 1 11? The Big Ten West got better. This isn't an easy path for them. So I don't know. I don't even know what you do. I can't even begin to place a win total on. Yeah. All right. Illinois, this team coming off an eight win season, it's their best finish since 2007. Um, they, they were one of the elite defenses in college football last year. Now, here's the thing about having an elite defense at Illinois. A lot of those guys end up leaving and then end up going pro. But you lose a couple of key pieces from last year. You lose Devin Witherspoon, who ends up going to Seattle, very yeah. high in the NFL draft. You also lose, not, I don't want to say a Heisman caliber guy, but one of the best running backs in all of college football in Chase Brown. He gets drafted by the Bengals. Yep in this year's NFL draft. You lose two game breakers on both sides of the football, one a corner, the other a running back, and you got kind of have to start over in that regard there. But Illinois, a fantastic season. Brett Bielema has proven that he is he knows how to win in the Big Ten once again. And maybe this year there's a little bit of a hiccup and maybe even a slight step back for Illinois, but I think long-term for this Fighting Illini program, I'm pretty bullish on it. This is a team that could have won the West last year ended up losing five games. They got that close loss to Michigan where Michigan mm-hmm. got the field goal late. Everything kind of got derailed at the end of the year. But they could have been contenders. And honestly, I think they will be again in that division. Bring in two transfer quarterback. Luke Altmanair from Ole Miss had a nice season there. John Paddock from Ball State. Bielema will tell you he thinks it's the best quarterback room that they've had yet. I do the defense biggest question. They're not going to be number one in college football again. They allowed less yeah. than 13 points a game last season. It was the best in the country. They're not going to be that again. But quietly, 10 all Big Ten players come back. You look at the, the way that Bielema has done quarterback so far, too. Last year, a transfer. This year, going to be a transfer. The he way that understands what yes. this is. Mm-hmm. Like he's getting into the portal and bringing in dudes. But not that having success it's one thing to be able to recruit transfers yeah it's another thing to be able to have success with transfers and last year DeVito was all right he didn't lose them football games last year but that's going to be the thing moving forward I think with Illinois and and with Bielema is how is he able to to continue to coach these guys up at the quarterback position and make sure that not just that but also kind of keeping your staff intact as well to the best of your ability for teams. Like eight-win team, you're not going to see a lot of guys leave. But, okay, let's say this Illini team in the next two, three years ends up being a 10-11-win team. Maybe not 11, but maybe kind of like a 9-10-win team. And you do start to see some coordinators picked off here yeah. and there to go get uh, some group of five sort of head coaching head coach jobs. Sure. Like that's to me going to be the most intriguing thing with Illinois. And, how they continue to adapt within the portal because we kind of talked about it with Northwestern. I think a lot of those same challenges persist in Illinois aside from the academic standards. The academic standards at Northwestern are out of this world 
difficult to, to try to recruit up against. Yeah. At Illinois, you don't have that same issue. Not to say Illinois is not a great school. It obviously is a great academic school. It's just not at the standard of what a Northwestern is. Public school, huge student pop. Mm-hmm. I think it is a lot easier to take care of things. And Bielam approved last year he can put a roster together that can win games. I think that gets some boosters behind you. It gets the athletic department behind you. It just the advantage For sure. And that's one of the biggest things. If he views this as a destination, look, this is a team that's going to be good again. Dariq Barnes, senior leader in the linebacking group. I love their linebackers. They kept an All-American on the defensive line in Jerzon Newton. This could be a really good team again. I don't know if they're the best in the West, but what's the win total on Illinois? Six and a half. I'd go way over. This is, like, I don't even understand how that number comes up. All five of their losses last season by 29 combined points. Flip a few of those into wins. The offense gets a little better with Luke Altmaier, who probably wins the job, the Ole Miss transfer. Mm-hmm. You probably win one or two of those. The schedule gets a little bit of relief. You don't have to go to Ann Arbor. I don't see why this can't be an 8-9 win team. Yeah. I mean, there is and all conference players. Which is, yeah, that's great. There is still some significant turnover in some spots where you were dominant. Right? Yeah. Like, Running the football was their bread and butter last year offensively. If you can't get the running game going and you don't expect them to hold teams to 13 points per game, like a little defensive regression, that's sometimes how we see some of these teams that pop and get eight or nine wins fall back to seven or six wins or even sometimes under under six as well. It's because of defensive regression. You rarely see teams, I feel like college people, especially in the Big Ten, that get eight wins without a dominant level, like a top 20 defense. Yeah. Okay. And maybe they can be that again. I, I love their linebackers. Do you lose some at corner? Obviously, Devin Witherspoon was an island. I don't know if you have that again. You brought up the running game. You don't game. necessarily need an island. No, in you just big ten. If you look like at like it up, yeah. So, and they avoid going to Ann Arbor. You play a softer schedule in the West. Six and a half is too low of a number. I'd like to go over. So you're going over there. I think I would join you, but I, I still think it's probably – it's a team that takes a step back. I still think they're a bowl team, but probably more in the, the neighborhood of seven wins okay. for Illinois. All right, let's stay in the, the Big Ten West here and, and just kind of go through some of the uh, top-to-bottom projections here now that we've knocked out a couple of local teams. Let's start with Wisconsin. Obviously, the big <laughs> news. Oh, My I, darling. You are, you are giddy about the Badgers for this upcoming season. And it all sort of centers around who the new man on the sideline is, and that is Luke Fickle, a guy who took a group of five team to the college football playoff with Cincinnati. And Fickle's a guy who, like, remember, once upon a time, that was the guy, that was the hot name to be next at Ohio State yeah. before Ryan Day stepped in and, and took over there. I think this is moves beyond what I think was, the average Wisconsin fan was expecting to be the next head coach of the program. They were talking about Lance Leipold out of Kansas, which would have been a fine hire. But that's a guy who did some nice work at Buffalo in the MAC, did really nice work last season at Kansas until it all fell apart at the end. That would not have been some marquee hire at Wisconsin. Getting fickle, Wisconsin fans should be ecstatic. That offense is going to look very different from what they're used to. Now, And you get a dog in Tanner Mordecai, yes. quarterback mm-hmm. out of SMU. I know that's not a familiar name for a lot of people. This kid can play. Here's my thing with Fickle. It feels like you wish this hire was happening well in advance of the way the divisions are going to realign. Because yeah. this 
team, like Wisconsin, could have been what we've seen Ohio State be, not last year, but like the past, what, five, Absolutely. ten years. Michigan, yeah. They could have just run the West every single year because they play a different game than the other six teams in the division. The good news for these teams, though, and this is what's so interesting about the new schedule, they're abolishing divisions and they're going with the 3-6-6 method. It's what should be in every conference. So you have teams like Wisconsin that will protect three rivals because they don't have to play Michigan and Ohio State every year if they do that, whereas Penn State protects no rivals because they don't want to play Michigan and Ohio State every year. Let's mix in some West teams. Wisconsin still has some level of control over having to play the big boys. Yeah. I think that is an advantage that neutralizes a little bit of what you lose by not having Pickle in earlier. The other thing, everybody's all worried about their identity because they're so run heavy. They're so pro style. It's a man blocking scheme. They're going to have to figure things out as they transition to more of a spread in the zone style. Well, you get six weeks where versus Buffalo at home, at Wazoo, terrible Washington State team. You get Georgia Southern at Purdue, who I think stinks, a bye week and Rutgers. You don't get tested till week seven. Plenty of time for you guys to learn the new scheme. Yeah. I, I it, That's the one thing with, with college football and why I, I've, I'm always for we should never see a fully conference schedule is because I like some of those early game non-cons as sort of preseason games. Yeah. They don't mean anything in terms of the grand scheme of whether or not you can win your conference, but they do give you a little bit of a build towards those conference games. And on top of that, you also have the ability to put some tokens in for your college football playoff journey. Yeah, absolutely. Get some wins on the board. This team, Tyler, for me, like they play Ohio State in a crossover game. That's not a great draw, but somebody's going to have to do it. And I still think this team could go 11-1 and and win the West. I look at Wisconsin and and what he what they have now with Luke Fickle. All right, and I do want to talk a little Tanner Mordecai in a second with you too. But with Fickle, we've seen Wisconsin knock on the door of the college football playoff, be in that five to eight range, be yeah. that team that goes to the Rose Bowl, but the Rose Bowl is not obviously a CFP game that year. Consistently, the West sacrificial lamb in the Big Ten title. Mm-hmm. How many? If I were to give you a line of two and a half years for Wisconsin to get into the college football playoff. When do they expand? Next year or the year I after? I believe it's, it's 25. Whenever year they expand is the year I look for it, so I go over. Because I think it's probably a three-year process. Like this year, I think they can go 11-1 and one and get the Big Ten title game. I don't think they can win that game. If it's Ohio State or Michigan on the other side, you're just going to meet a much better team. I, so I think they can win the West. I don't think they can win the division, which would send them to the or win the conference, which would send them to the playoff. So I can't go this year, and then next year is too far out. I don't know what they look like at quarterback, what Fickle brings in, what their schedule ends up looking like in terms of USC and UCLA. Mm-hmm. Hello, like yep. if things get a little too murky, I think it's probably a three-year process, and then you start trying to really kick the door down. All right, let's uh, Tanner Mordecai real quick. This is a guy that was recruited by Lincoln Riley to go play at Oklahoma. He ends up transferring to SMU, puts together back-to-back really strong seasons. I don't know. I don't think Wisconsin fans realize what they're about to watch this year because it is going to be night and day from what you've seen for the past decade-plus at Wisconsin. Forget Graham Burks. Right. Like This is a completely, completely different style of offense that you're going to see played it's going to be more of the – you're going to see the ball move up and down the field vertically pretty quickly. And I'm not talking about handing it off to Jonathan Taylor 
and letting him run away for a 70-yard touchdown. Like, the ball is going to be in the air. Yeah, and I think it's going to be super exciting for Wisconsin fans. And just the way that Pickle's going to be able to work the transfer portal, like he already has with Mordecai, and beyond by getting some receivers and getting some tight end help in there and being able to just maintain his foothold, not just in Wisconsin, but he's still going to have all those ties out in the state of Ohio as well. Yeah, think about back-to-back 3,500-yard seasons for Mordecai. 39 touchdowns at 21, 33 last year. Doesn't throw a lot of picks. Controls the ball well. Not a great runner, but a really effective passer. And I just think, look, you're getting a guy who's played five years in his sixth year of eligibility. Thank you, COVID. (laughs) You have a leader that you just paid to bring in like it's a mercenary. That's why next year, I don't know what they become. You don't have to enter Mordecai anymore in 24. But this season, I think year one with Fickle, maybe a little bit like year two Michigan State with Tucker where the stars just align. You have a chance to go out in your division. I think, too, like, I, with all these guys now that, and this is kind of like the wrap-up of what we're going to see of like the sixth year, like the true sixth-year guys, right? Um, the guys that, who, like, who can be, I'm not saying, it's a bad example because this is an extreme, but who can be like Joe Burrow, right? Who yeah. literally just goes and plays football. He yeah. is basically in school to play football as opposed to have to do any of the other stuff and like appear in certain classes here and there. Like the guy who literally is taking like three credits and can just stay at the facility all the time and have the real explosion. I think there's a couple candidates within the Big Ten for this season. I'll get to another one later. But one of them is certainly Tanner Mordecai. Yeah, I think he's one of the best options in the country. And I'm not saying he's a Heisman candidate, but he's up there with the best in the country, I think. And you put him at a real program with a real offensive line, you know the pedigree, brought in some weapons, Fickle's offense. It feels like a moment for him. Yep. All right, let's go to the next team in the Big Ten West. Like Kendon Hooker last year at Tennessee. Yeah. A little bit like that. Yeah, that's that's a better example than my extreme of Joe Burrow that I threw out there. All right, Iowa. Iowa is running it back again. Under the same coaching staff, who yeah, and his idiot kid running the <laughs> offense too, Kirk and Brian Ferentz. I mean, uh, how was that new offense they talked about all season? Well, they're bringing in Cade McNamara at quarterback, which I'd say is a step in the right direction, but I don't think it's a, a big, significant step that can really like bring you anywhere if you're Iowa. Bring you anywhere is a different conversation. Big, significant step over Spencer Petras. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That Spencer Petrus might be the worst quarterback I've ever seen in my life. He was horrible last year. I, I mean, this guy, walking turnover, whether they relied on him to throw the ball ever or not, all he could do was hit Sam Laporta. Cade McNamara, I actually like a little bit. I think he got a raw deal in Michigan, kind of a like a hit job where you had two five-star kids and Cade and J.J. McCarthy, and mm-hmm. McCarthy was clearly Arbaugh's boy. Yeah. And you all Cade does is lead that team to a Big Ten title. They're first in 17 years, something like that. And they kick him to the curb in the next offseason, destroys confidence, make him compete for the gig, goes out terrible half against Hawaii. It's one of the see pal. One of the weirder things we've seen, too, is the coach openly saying, we're going to have a quarterback competition the first, what was it, three, four weeks of the season? Yeah. I actually like McNamara here because I think at least you get some consistency. It's a team bringing back 16 starters. But I just go back to you got the same idiot kid running the offense who wants to play football in 1985. I don't know how they get it done better. And that's that's the thing why I, 
like Kate McNamara, he can go there, but I don't think it's really that significant in the long run because of the fact that he's coming from playing for Jim Harbaugh, who NFL quarterback understands the position very well, to now Brian Ferentz. Like, like, that is a significant drop-off in offensive mind. It's like the Patriots hiring Matt Patricia. <laughs> like, you just you got some dummy running your offense. Not not to be disrespectful, but I'm sorry. The kid, what did we watch last year? And this kid's still the OC? Nepotism's a hell of a drug. <laughs> uh, let's move along. Oh, uh, uh, the win total, I believe, for Iowa six and a half for this year. I lean over just because you know the defense is going to be good and they're going to play low-scoring games, probably win a few close ones, but I don't feel strongly. And you look at the division, too. Yeah. The division. It's, it's the, the West. Division, if like, Iowa's good, it's the West thinks. Yeah. Um, I, actually, Iowa, eight and a half. Eight and a half. I had that number wrong. I'd lean under. Under? Yeah. Going under. I so think you're probably an eight-win seven, eight team. team there. All right. Uh, next up, we go to Minnesota. And the Golden Gophers, they, they lose Mo Ibrahim, who was one of the most electrifying running backs in the nation last season. But still a couple of significant pieces coming back. P.J. Flex still rowing that boat. Forever. <laughs> I mean, he, he feels like one of those guys where, and Minnesota is one of those jobs where P.J. Flex a big enough name and the job isn't important enough in the college football universe where he could be one of those guys who just kind of, kind of, Rides the Kirk Barron train. It's a rebuilding year for Minnesota, too. Like, they have the great defensive coordinator, Joe Rossi, who's been dubbed the guru there. He's done awesome work, but it's a totally rebuilt defense. You mentioned Mo Ibrahim's gone. Tanner Morgan, the quarterback, also gone. Offensive line, they have 49 career starts on this offensive line. That's five Losing guys. All Americans too. Yeah, I just, I don't think this is a good season. You got to play both Michigan and Ohio State. Yep. Best of luck. That might just get PJ Fleck fired. I don't know. I feel bad because I think he gets a bad rap. He's the guy everybody loves to hoist when they start 4 0. And then as soon as they lose a game, everybody wants to throw him in the garbage can. I don't know what happens there, but I don't think this is a good season. Seven and a half is your number on Minnesota. Under. under. Uh, I'll join you on that. I think under as well. Nebraska, Matt Rule in Lincoln. That's one of the big news, big stories there. Um, this this Nebraska team, I think, is going to be because I think we saw like with Matt Rule, college coach, yeah. one of those guys took a took a step to the NFL, didn't, didn't work, work out. out. No, but college coach, I like, it. and I think this is the right hire. Nebraska, a big time job. I think he'll be able to recruit there. I agree, and I think this is a team that's probably better than most people's estimation of them. It's not like they didn't have talent the last few years. They just you made the wrong hire. That happens. Matt Rule, I think, can get a lot out of them. I don't know that they're playing at the top of their division, but I think they could surprise some people, be maybe a fringe bowl team. This is a team that sometimes it's tough to have the first-year new coach pop, but I think this is one that could. Yeah. Especially in the transfer portal era, Matt Rule and, and him being, I think, a pretty good offensive mind as well. Like You could see the first-year pop playing in the Big Ten West as well. Like, I think it's interesting because the Big Ten West all of a sudden has a couple of good offensive minds in it and a couple of, like, different yeah. ways of thinking about football. Which is nice to see. This isn't quite fickle at Wisconsin. No. But it's close. It's a really, I think, savvy hire. But here's you the thing. change is, the identity of the program a little bit. If Rule had stayed at Baylor or maybe taken another college football job, maybe we are talking about it as this bigger than fickle at Wisconsin. That's interesting. Like instead of going to Carolina, where he's now out the football 
we like the overarching football universe looks at Matt Rule as a failure right now because yeah. of what happened in Carolina. But maybe if he had stayed in the college game and stuck around at Baylor and who knows, maybe goes to like a Texas A&M and has success there. Obviously, he's not taking the Nebraska job then, but we may be looking no at kidding. we may be looking at uh, Matt Rule as a completely different coach at this point. And maybe point. we are thinking about him as someone who's more significant of a hire than Fickle is. I think Fickle has a better chance to pop this year. I think Nebraska going forward, like next year, I'd be more confident in Nebraska than I am in Wisconsin next year. If that makes sense, yeah. I, I would agree with you there. I, I think that the long term, like if you were to project out five years, I'm probably leaning rule. But if we're just talking about 2023, uh, I'd take uh, Luke Pickle in that one. Uh, you have already kind of given your one word uh, thought on Purdue this year. They blow. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Walters is your new coach out in uh, West Lafayette right now. But you, lo- you actually had a solid like receiver quarterback combo last year with Aiden O'Connell and Charlie Jones. But Aiden O'Connell, he kind of gave you the vibes of like the the Philip Rivers, right? Like yeah. sixty minutes was coming on soon, and he was just going to pad those stats all yep. the way down and ultimately lose some of those games. They were a super undisciplined group, and like I remember, and I'll, I'll remember this game fondly last year because it came against Syracuse up at, at Syracuse, New York, like. That was one of the most undisciplined finishes to a football game I've ever seen. That game they deserved so every bit of that loss. Yeah, I think they won a lot of close games last year. They probably won some games they shouldn't have won, to be honest with you. Uh, Jeff Brom leaving, I don't think much of Jeff Brom, so maybe you get an upgrade because I really like Ryan Walters and what he did as the defensive coordinator at Illinois. Graham Harrell, you bring in an yep. offensive coordinator, but you lose the quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. You add Hudson Card, the transfer out of Texas, who we saw in flashes last year with Quinn Ewers getting mm-hmm. hurt. I don't think a lot of Hudson Card. I think it's a downgrade from Aiden O'Connell. It was one of the most underrated passers in the country, to be honest with you. Yeah. They only bring back 11 starters. The schedule is impossibly hard, like easily the hardest outside of Rutgers in the entire conference. How does this team get to eight wins? It's not even a shot at them when I tell you they blow. It's just they blow. They had a mass exodus after they made the Big Ten title where they got their ass kicked. I, I don't think any anything super highly of this team. Five and a half is the number. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like, think about that. A team that made the Big Ten title, won eight games, mm-hmm. and you're talking about a five and a half win total? I think they could go under that. It's just this is a brutally difficult year for a first-year head coach. Yeah, I think the, the coaching turnover along with the, the departure of a quarterback, the departure of an NFL-caliber receiver and Charlie Jones like kind of feels 5-7 and seven to me. Yeah, I agree. And, and they could be this, playing for the, the win total in, in that, uh, that final game of the season. Think about the schedule. Your first conference game, you're home, but it's Wisconsin. You've got to go to Iowa two weeks later. You've got Ohio State. You've got at Michigan, at Nebraska. Like It's just they have the hardest schedule in the Big Ten West, and they lost almost their entire team. Like, I can't do it. I can't see you getting eight wins again. I think it's four, five, one team. All right, let's go to the East Division now. All right. No, yeah. no Indiana love? Oh, did I skip Indiana? I did yeah, skip Indiana. All right. All right. They're not good anyway. Indiana, yeah. They're, yeah. Tom Allen's going to die there. You talked about a guy who, listen, if there was more pressure on the Indiana job, talk about a guy who got flipped on quick, right? You, you talked about nine win, Indi- nine win Indiana, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, 
Life comes at you fast, Tom. It's going to be bad again this year. They have no experience. Three and a half is the number there. I mean, I don't know what to do with them. They made upgrades at almost every position group, but they just have no experience. Like, they got a transfer quarterback from Tennessee who hasn't had a start. Nothing worse than fighting with Hoosier fans about their football team, too. Yeah. Like, those people, when when they hate Indiana fans in a unique way. Like, I. You didn't go to Purdue. You just you don't like Indiana fans. Like I, they're an interesting breed. Like I look at the way that they sort of talk about football and like the whole thing with their football team was oh Tom Allen, guys love playing for him. Where are the players? Where are the players now? All right, you should never be so devoid of talent that your win total is three and a half. They had to sell themselves out to get Connor Bazelak out of Missouri. And by the way. He sucked at Missouri. Like, I just – I don't get it. Tom Allen's going to die coaching this team, and they're not going to be good. I do like the basketball program, but that's, well, who that's, down, that's down the line here. Um, all right, let's move on to the big boys now of the Big Ten, and we'll start with the reigning champion at Michigan Wolverines. And uh, disappointing for them, I think, that losing in the college football playoff last year, they probably felt like a team that should have made the college football championship last year. But – they, they are the favorites within the Big Ten once again. There's continuity at the quarterback position. There's continuity at the head coaching position. I think if you, you asked me three years ago if Jim Harbaugh would still be the head coach of this team, I would have said no chance in yeah, hell that he would still be running this program. Now this is a guy who, who likes to play Tinder with NFL teams to try to keep getting raises out there. Which is ridiculous. I mean, uh, the way that he kind of, Keeps two feet in the door while also keeping one foot out the door is unbelievable. But uh, that is Jim Harbaugh, and that is the Michigan program right now. Now they're focused on the season. And I think once they kind of focus in and key in on the season, this is a team that has college football playoff aspirations once again. But I ask you, is this the best team in the Big Ten still? Yeah. And I hate saying it, but you can, as a Michigan State fan, I hate saying it. But yes, they are the best team in the Big Ten. They got the best offensive line, not in the conference, in the country. They got the best special teams, not in the conference, but in the country. You bring back 16 starters, basically your entire defensive and offensive line. Those are guys who just won a conference and went to the playoff. And it, how's this for a schedule? East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, Indiana, Michigan State, Purdue. And then you get Penn State, Maryland, Ohio State. The gauntlet at the end, but up until then, you play nobody. The schedule's a joke. The biggest issue for me, Tyler, is it's J.J. McCarthy any good. Because, man, have we seen him suck a lot. A lot of missed deep throws. Like, outside of the game last year at Ohio State where Jim Knowles couldn't get his head out of his ass and stop running single-eyes zero mm-hmm. blitzes, and you just have wide receivers running 20 yards free, like you or I could have hit those throws. Outside of those games, J.J. McCarthy is a fumble machine. He misses the deep balls, throws picks. Like, I, I don't I don't love him at all. He's got to show a lot of maturity if this team's going to get over the hump and make a championship game. I think we're actually on different ends of the J.J. McCarthy spectrum here. I do think, you like him? I do. I think, like... I, I what think have I've you seen, seen from him to suggest that he... Well, here, here's one thing, right? He was a young quarterback the last two years, and he had to deal with a lot of crap. He had to deal with the, the quarterback competition, a competition that he won, too, and brought this team in. When he did, did he win it, or did Cade lose it? I, I think it's a combination of 
he's probably the reason Harbaugh still has a job because I think Harbaugh may have hitched his wagon to, listen, if I'm not here, we're going to lose this top 10 recruit in J.J. McCarthy. And for a Michigan fan base that's really been starved for a quarterback for a long time, they probably saw this as the light at the end of the tunnel, and they said, all right, we may stick it out with Harbaugh here. And I think, like, his Heisman odds are 18 to 1 right now. He is, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, tied for 7th on the board. He's in the same class as Bo Nix, Drake May, uh, Carson Beck, Sam Hartman, and Kyle McCord for the Heisman. And I think him being on a team that can get to the college football playoff, the favorite to win the conference, and I think that this is the year where he is going into camp as the starter. And I think this is where we really see J.J. McCarthy. We'll see. He's got to get more volume. I mean, he looks like a guy a lot of times they just don't trust to sling it. When he does sling it, often he's overthrowing receivers by a lot. Like, he's not missing super difficult throws either. He just misses guys. But I wonder how much of that it comes down to I had to split first team reps for a long time. But he didn't. Only the first four weeks, three weeks of the season last year, he had to do that. This was a problem deep into the year. There were multiple chances where they could have slammed the door on Illinois. And Cade, J.J. just missed throws. And that was a problem with Cade, too. But, like, I don't get – people talk about this guy like he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten and he's got all – I think Tanner Mordecai is better. J.J. goes out. He's got no volume to his game. He's not throwing, you know, 40 passes. He's not throwing 35 passes. Only got 22 touchdowns last year. Didn't get to 3,000 yards. Didn't get to 2,800 yards. I don't, I just, maybe he'll show me this year, but I haven't seen enough from him. And the problems he has, listen, all the talent in the world is a rusher, but you put the ball on the ground too much. Can't do it. Like, I go back a few years, they lost the Michigan State game the year that Mel Tucker had the dream season, not because Cade played poorly at 400 yards. It's because J.J. McCarthy comes in and fumbles two mesh points. But I just I don't I don't buy the kid. You got the TCU game last year. He did not play well. I don't care what anybody says. Big moments outside of the Ohio State game, and I told you, give credit where credit is due. But Jim Knowles had his head up his ass that entire game, and Ryan Day refused to make any adjustments. Zero blitzing Michigan's offensive line over and over, leaving guys on islands. You've got wide receivers running twenty yards free. I, it's a great performance because it came against a great opponent. But if you watch that game, you can't tell me that anybody else couldn't have done what he did. And then you go to TCU, and you can't play like that in a college football playoff game, and then have me come on and go, yeah, I think he's great and a Heisman contender. I don't buy it yet. Now, whether or not he's good, there is a great backfield there. With Blake oh, Corum sure. coming back from injury, and just him coming back. And I don't, think, significant. I don't think Blake Corum's the best running back no, in the Donovan world. I think Edwards. Donovan Edwards is. I'll still lean Corm again. I have to see him come back from injury. So, um, but just having both of those yeah. guys in the backfield there for Michigan like takes a lot of pressure off of the quarterback position too. And me getting on the quarterback is just nitpicking. Like that's what I don't worry about that until you're playing Georgia or Clemson or whoever USC in the in the college football playoff. Because my belief is you are going twelve and zero. You're winning a Big Ten title and you are going to that game. Right. All right, let's move on to Ohio State. Uh, they went Justin Fields to C.J. Stroud, and now they move on to the next iteration. It looks like it probably will be Kyle McCord. That ends they won't up name him, though. But it's 
it's going to be, again, you've got a, a young quarterback stepping into a situation that has a ton of talent around it, once again, because yeah. that's just the factory that Ohio State is. When we get to that final weekend and Ohio State, Michigan, try in all likelihood, playing for the right to go to the Big Ten Championship once again, which is still one of the most ludicrous things that happens in college football. But playing a singular game there to go to the college football or to go to the, the Big Ten Championship and in all likelihood, the college football playoff right. as well. Um, what kind of run can Ohio State give towards Michigan? I, I think they're 1A and 1B. Ohio State's got the best skill player in the country in Marvin Harrison Jr. Honestly, I don't have a ton of thoughts because until they decide to name a starter at quarterback, whether it's redshirt freshman Devin Brown or, much more likely, Kyle McCord, that remains the biggest question. And we're probably not going to have an answer until they've played a few games because I don't know if Kyle McCord is as good as advertised. I know next to nothing about Devin Brown, the freshman, so we'll see. Like the only thing that I think is keeping them behind Michigan is their quarterback question mark is much bigger. One question I have about Ohio State and Michigan for you mm-hmm. is 2024 when they abolish divisions. You cannot continue to play this on the last day of the year because you're going to play again in the Big Ten title. Don't do it back to back weeks. Play this sucker in October like the Red River Showdown, Texas, Oklahoma have it mean a lot then, and then the stakes get even higher when you see them a month later in the Big Ten title game. Like, am I crazy? I don't think they can keep playing this Thanksgiving. No, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a bad thought process there. In fact, I, I would say I largely agree with it because I guess it kind of depends. Uh, like, what, is, I, I agree, what are you I holding on to playing the Thanksgiving weekend at noon, like the pageantry of it? Who cares? Play it in October. But I wonder, like, for with your television deals and stuff like that, do they want the Michigan-Ohio State or do they want the USC versus Ohio State or USC-Michigan? Like, you could be doing that no matter what. But do USC-Michigan or USC-Ohio State as the final game? Because here's the other thing. If you get to the last week of the season and it's Michigan-Ohio State and the Big Ten title no matter what happens – the last thing you want on the last day is that game to be meaningless. Play it in October. It'll have meaning because you'll be playing for purpose. At the end of the season, you're running the risk of two teams that are both undefeated, and no matter what happens, they're playing each other in the Big Ten title. Um, defensively for Ohio State for this upcoming season, one guy that I, I really loved watching last year was JT Tumaloa. Yeah. The way that he could break up offensive lines and just – Disrupt games in the backfield. I mean, he's going to be one of those top-tier, like, top five, top ten draft prospects eventually. And, like, I think it's one thing that we'll end up doing during the show and during the the podcast, which we'll have every single week, is talking about guys that, okay, the Bears have two draft picks. Yeah. This could be one of those guys that the Bears should be looking at down the line. That's a very good point. And, honestly, this Ohio State defense, it's one of the best they've maybe ever had. Jim Knowles, I give him a hard time because the Michigan game plan was atrocious. But for the most part, I think he's brilliant. He did a great job against Georgia. I know they ended up losing that game, but it's Georgia. Uh, I I think it's as good a defense as they've had and as good a coordinator as they've had if he just doesn't lose his mind against Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. All right. Uh, then we get to, to the third child of, of the Big Ten uh, East, and that is Penn State. And James Franklin's still there. It's uh, Sean Clifford gone. Let, let me hear your James Franklin thoughts. 
can you win a big game or not? Like, this is, to me, and I have it written in my notes, if this isn't the year for Penn State, I just don't think they're ever going to have the year for James Franklin. Like, you are no longer excuse held over Sean Clifford. You're bringing in Drew Aller, who everybody thinks is this stud, one of the best quarterbacks in America. You're bringing back Nick Singleton, one of the best running backs in the country. You return eight starters on each side of the ball. There is no reason why Penn State shouldn't be mentioned in the same breath as Ohio State and Michigan, except for the fact they probably lose both those games. And the reason is because they have James Franklin. Like, how many times... Penn State last year lucked into it a little bit, but had a lead against Michigan at halftime and ended up getting boat raced in the second half of that game. How many times have we seen that happen where they have chances to win and end up losing? Except the one year when they closed out Ohio State, their reward was winning the Big Ten and watching Ohio State go to the playoff anyway. <laughs> it, it's been frustrating as a Penn State fan because you feel like you should be in Big Ten championship. Not every year. But, like, you should break up the Ohio State and Michigan monotony there. They just haven't been involved as much as those two teams. And it's because they can't get over the hump. Now, I don't think either of us would predict Penn State to finish first in the East this year. But what percentage chance would you give for them to finish second? Second? Just break up the the one two of Michigan Ohio State in some order. Thirty percent. They got thirty percent. They got to beat one of those teams to do it. I feel like that's pretty high. Like I really think it's like a, a five to ten percent proposition. I got to check where they get those two teams on their schedule, because that's the problem. Is they got to beat one of those two teams, and I don't know if they can unless it's a whiteout. But even there, they've had trouble. Yeah, like the whiteout game has kind of been a curse for them at times too. So I, 30% just because I'm thinking that's probably the odds to win one of those two games. And then we're going to get to October when they play at Ohio State and they're going to be 21-point dogs. They get Michigan uh, November 11th in Happy Valley. Right now it says 11 a.m. Unless the athletic department is genuinely stupid, they should turn that to a night game. The other part, too, is like you look at just what um, like the – I'm trying to think. Like, sure, they can have that big win against Michigan or Ohio State. There's still a prime candidate for a clunker against, like, Maryland yeah, or, or Michigan State. Let's talk about Maryland, actually. because Yeah, that was next to my team that I was going to get to. This, and you brought them up with Penn State. They are a team that, if you look at their schedule, they're probably going to be favored in nine of their games. The only games I wouldn't think they'd be favored in, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. If you can upset one or two of them, like this could be the year you got Talia Tagovailo in his senior season. You've got a lot of talent on your offensive line. It's not super experienced, but it's year five for your head coach, Mike Loxley, who I think is building a program. Yes, I agree. And that's a great place to do it, too, that DMV area. Yeah. When you can tap into D.C., Maryland, Virginia, then you can stretch down a little bit down into the Carolinas and Georgia and Florida, like – you can build a great program, and that is a prime spot to do it. And being the state school, because like Virginia has had their ups and downs, um, DC doesn't have a team. Like Maryland, I think is a spot to do it. If you look at like some of Maryland's recruiting rankings, there are some really talented yeah. players that come through that program. They're bringing through a lot of good guys, and that's where I'm like, look, you're not beating all three. If you beat all three, I would be stunned. 
But if you can take one off Penn State and you can give Michigan a game or give Ohio State a game and you're close at the end, which has happened, mm-hmm. Michigan-Maryland can be close. Yeah. Like if you can give them a game at the end and you got a shot to win it, if you could win one of those games, two of those games, then it's the we've arrived moment and suddenly you leapfrog Penn State. Yeah. Here, here's, you know, everybody criticized the, the additions of – Maryland and Rutgers to the Big Ten. Rutgers, yes, you can you can be pissed it's, at that. Maybe basketball wise, basketball wise has actually been a, a solid addition to yeah. the conference. Football wise, it's been a disaster. Maryland, though, I think is actually one of the best additions we've seen a conference make outside of like the big addition, like at the SEC adding um, Oklahoma and Texas and the Big Ten adding yeah. USC UCLA. I think Maryland coming to the Big Ten is sneaky one of the biggest gets for the conference because what they've brought on the basketball side, and then on top of that, what they can be from a football perspective, if you get the right guy in there, and you're, it seems like you're a Loxley fan, I'm a Loxley fan, yeah. that's the place to build a program. I just I think he's doing it. And at year five, that's typically at a place like Maryland. Year five, you start to see the returns. You mm-hmm. have the senior quarterback. I think this is the year where they – I'm not calling them to upset two of them, but I do think they could knock off Penn State and have a little weird here moment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are going to have to eat crow, myself included, on Maryland coming to this conference and it being a joke for football mm-hmm. because Mike Loxley is putting something together. You know, like Maryland kind of feels like one of those teams that has a real nice pop-up year, like a quarterback who's been there for a little bit now with, with Tonga Vailoa. Um, and Tonga Vailoa, by the way, kind of like Tanner Mordecai, this is my other guy who I think just – lock him in the gym, lock him in the facility. Like, he could be one yeah. of those guys that really pops and has a great year. Not Heisman caliber, but maybe is in the running for, like, the best quarterback in the Big Ten yeah. when it's all said and done. Um, but w- with this Maryland team, like, it feels like a team that could sneaky get nine wins. I would expect nine wins if I were a Maryland fan. Well, the, the number seven and a half. You're going to be favored in probably nine of your games. Now, you, you build in, maybe you drop one of those, but seven and a half, I'm comfy over. I think I, this, I'm with you. I think this is a nine or ten win team. I, ten's a little ambitious. You got to be Penn State. You got to be well. You got to be one of the three. So right? yeah. And so I think it's there's there's no hiccups the rest of the way. I'm comfortable saying it's a nine win team because they're going to play a lot of games that they should win, and I think they have a coach who's comfortable enough that they will win most of them. Yeah. All right. Let's move on here. I think I, I'm I'm very happy to hear that you're a Maryland guy. I, yeah, football now. Yeah. I'm in. You're in. All I right. like what Loxley's doing there. Welcome. Um, all right. Next up is uh, Michigan State. And I, I'm i just going to hand you the mic and say, Shane Norley, your thoughts. First of all, can we just knock Rutgers out? Because they stink. I, they could maybe be a bowl team. I don't have a ton of thoughts. I just want to knock them out. They brought in Gavin Wimstead. Looked good in flashes. They got a good player. And then I'll get into Michigan State. Because this is the more interesting situation. Uh, you've got Mel Tucker, who everybody's criticizing the contract. Here's the fact. You had to pay him or somebody else would. Whether that was LSU, which was the big rumor at the time, or someone else. Fact of the matter is, if you have a coach who has a year like Mel Tucker had, you pay them. <coughs> Kansas. Like, Lance Leipold just got paid mm-hmm. because when you have that coach, you look, can't let him Wisconsin go. would have paid him. You have to do what you have to do when you have to do it. So I'm not mad that they paid him. But Jesus Christ. Like, (laughs) oh, my God. Enough. If I'm a Michigan State fan, and I am, you got to get this ship in order now. 
because you're looking at a season where you're going to play three true home games in your conference. I didn't misread the schedule. You will play three true home games in the conference. You let the conference walk all over you by moving the Penn State game at the end of the year to a semi-neutral site at Ford Field. You took it away from outdoors in East Lansing, and you put it on a fast track against a team that's miles better than you. And after September 30th, you're going to play two games in your home stadium. That's it. That's That's two full months of football. Eight weeks, you're going to play twice in East Lansing. You let the conference walk all over you. And it was the first moment where I looked at Mel Tucker and I thought, this guy might not have the juice to get this done at this school. Mark D'Antonio, for all of his flaws at the end, blowing up the program, would never have let the Big Ten move that game. Ever. We're playing it in East Lansing because it's in East Lansing. And next year, you go to Penn State, good job. Like, holy hell, man. And the, the recruiting numbers aren't what they should have been. Uh, you're hitting the portal hard, and you got all the NIL stuff. That's fun. But the five and seven last year, probably looking at five and seven again this year. I, I can't do it. Make a bowl for the love of God. You can't. Michigan State football made the college football playoff. When you do that, you're not allowed to miss bowl games anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't go three and nine like D'Antonio did, and then he got his ass out. You can't. The COVID year, Mel Tucker's first season, whatever, I'll let it slide. You can't come back, go 11-2, and two, and then do what you did last year where you're totally dead. And then, by the way, your quarterback and wide receiver at the very last minute both leave. What is going on? You have two idiot coordinators couldn't figure their way out of a paper bag. You didn't fire either of them. I got to watch Scotty Hazleton drop second and 12 run plays again. Run the ball down 21 at Washington. Thanks, pal. Michael Penix is dancing on your grave. And then you don't get fired. And the idiot defensive coordinator, I can't even think of his name right now. I, I can't do it anymore with this team. They're terrible. Tyler, they're terrible. Five What's the win total? Five and a half. It's the right number. I don't know if I can play either side of it. Could they lock in? Could Here's the other thing. And I hate that I'm saying it, but it's true. Would it surprise you if they won nine games? Yes. I don't think it would. Like, is there a world where I can see Michigan State have sort of the surprise season like two years ago? They have better performances than we would have thought. Tucker looks okay. And you win eight or nine games. I could see it. Could I also see the wheels come off and you win three? Yeah. I don't think I could see either polar extreme happening. I can't do five and seven again. I just there's no there's no, the pain. there's no bigger torture than five and seven or six and six and be hitting one of the laughing stock bowl games. Six and six, and I got to go to the Red Box Bowl. I, I mean, I don't even watch. Yeah. The holiday, what is it, the, the San Diego County Credit Union Listen, Holiday if Bowl? You're, if you're playing your bowl game in a baseball stadium, I've got no time for you. The Motor City Bowl, what is it called in Detroit now? We'll um, go to that one and play Central Michigan. Yeah. Yippee. Pinstripe Bowl, no thank you. Yeah, play Syracuse. That'd be fun. <laughs> Would we go? Uh, boy, I think we'd have to. I think we'd have we'd to. We'd do a show from Yankee. <laughs> <laughs> I did see uh, it's no longer the new era of Pinstripe Bowl. It is now, I think it's Bad Boy Mowers. Uh, picked we'll have up. to run through all the sponsors for the Bulls because they're always changing. Like yeah. what the, uh, the Gator Bowl was like the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl yeah. for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is anymore. Yeah. Can't keep up anymore. Um, 
Anyway, F them. My school blows. Will Isaiah Thomas be the defensive coordinator by the end of the year? I mean, Ishbia pulls the strings at that university. Does he? Because he's spending all his time paying the Phoenix Suns salary cap. You're going to pay half a billion dollars to have four dead people get geriatrics in the starting lineup. I thought that that was going to recruiting an NIL at my school. Turns out he wants to buy an NBA team. And every move that he's made with the Suns has been atrocious. I, When he first injected the money and he's like, we're paying Mel Tucker, we're going to dive into the recruiting, we're going to dive into the NIL, I was all about it. I'm like, hell yes. We are building Oregon East. This is going to be a program that comes up from nothing because of Phil Knight money, an injection of Nike dollars that builds a program from nothing. That's what we have now. Ishby is doing it. Then he buys an NBA team and makes four of the dumbest moves I've ever seen. And I'm like, can I have any faith in this guy to do the right thing? Why are my coordinators still here now? Scotty Hazelton should have been shot out of a cannon in week three. What are we doing? Like, I. I don't have any faith that things get done right. Nothing's ever been done right at the school. I feel like it's 2005 again. Wow. <laughs> Not Sorry. happy. No, I, it's very frustrating. All right, now I know Now I know how to pull some strings on this show now. Matt Ishbia. I didn't think that was going to be one for me, but... I'm telling you, and I thought I thought for sure. Oregon East, we're doing it the right way. And now I think he might be dumb. Not, I shouldn't say dumb, but you He's know what a billionaire. I mean. Billionaires aren't dumb. You don't stumble into a billion dollars like that. Have when, you seen what Elon's doing with Twitter? <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I, I shouldn't say dumb, but sports angles, like sports mind, business action can be what it is. Mm-hmm. His sports mind, I think, might be dumb. Yeah. Firing Monty Williams? <laughs> he fired Monty Williams before either of these coordinators. <laughs> That's not a smart dude. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. All right. Well, we are going to continue our previews for the rest of the summer next week. Let's dive into the SEC next week. Yeah, all right. That's the most fun conference to talk about. So we will do that next week on the, the show. We'll have these every single week for you here on the Chicago College Tailgate football tab here on the ESPN Chicago app or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk some SEC football with you next week.